Hello, and welcome to the Beyond Borders podcast, the podcast that explores topics related to international trade. This podcast is brought to you by Buckland. For over 70 years, Buckland has been working to help companies across the world experience global trade in a better way. As a customer-focused company, we provide you with a single source of unmatched customs brokerage, trade-managed solutions, freight forwarding, trade technologies, and warehousing and distribution services. I'm your host, Jenny Kaus, Corporate Marketing Manager here at Buckland, and today we will be sharing the audio from our recent live webinar on completing a NAFTA Certificate of Origin. Our presenter for our webinar is Jody Potter. Jody is the Manager, Compliance and Consulting at Buckland and holds her Bachelor's in Economics and International Business. She's a licensed customs broker and holds her Certified Customs Specialist and Certified Export Specialist designations. Jody has a great deal of experience in trade programs and has been with Buckland since 2015. If you're interested in checking out the slides from this webinar, please check out the learning section at buckland.com to access our webinars. I'll also post a link in the show notes. I hope you'll enjoy listening to this podcast today. Now over to Jody for an explanation of completing a NAFTA certificate of origin. Let's start out with um, NAFTA certificate of origin. This is a trilaterally agreed upon format that is used by Canada, United States, and Mexico. It is used to certify that goods are eligible for the preference treatment by reduced or eliminated duty under the rules of NAFTA. A lot of trade agreement certificates of origin do not require a specific format. They just require specific data elements. This is not the case with NAFTA. A NAFTA certificate of origin used for duty preference requires the use of this specific format, which is provided for by customs. A NAFTA certificate can only be completed by the producer or the exporter. However, a NAFTA certificate used on entry must be completed by the exporter. So then you might ask why a producer would have to create a NAFTA certificate if they are not also the exporter. NAFTA is used to claim duty preference on goods crossing the border and also as material backup documentation for NAFTA determination. So, for example, if your company produces brackets that you then sell to an automotive seating manufacturer and they use your bracket to build a seat that they then ship outside of the country, in order for them to determine if their seat qualifies as eligible for NAFTA duty preference, they could need a NAFTA from you showing that your good is eligible. Another possibility is your customer purchased your bracket and is then reselling it and exporting it. In both of these scenarios, the exporter would need supporting NAFTA documentation from the producer in order for them to create a NAFTA certificate of their own to avoid duty at entry. It is important to understand that a NAFTA can be required even if you are not exporting your goods. For entry purposes, you do not need to include parts that are not eligible. However, if you are providing a certificate to your customer or a third party, 
you should include parts that are not eligible uh, by including NE in the preference criteria column along with the country of origin. This way it can be logged and tracked so that you're not having repeat requests every time the part is sold or is crossing the border. Customs will not deny a NAFTA certificate because it lists eligible and not eligible parts together, though some companies do prefer to list eligible and not eligible on separate documents. It is not necessary and does create more work. Okay, so let's take a look at the required fields on a NAFTA certificate. The first field is the exporter section. Here you will list the legal company name, full address, including the country and your tax ID number. It should also include an email address if the signer uh, of the signer if it is not already included in the signature section below. This field can also be used by a supplier that is not the producer and not the exporter if they have been asked to provide a NAFTA as supporting documentation. Common turnbacks on this field are missing country, missing tax ID number, or if filled out by the exporter for entry purposes, the company name or address doesn't match the entry paperwork. Uh, blanket period. A NAFTA certificate can be either a one-time certificate or a blanket certificate. A one-time is only good for the shipment it is completed for, while a blanket NAFTA certificate is good for a specified period of time indicated on the certificate up to 12-month period. Generally speaking, a one-time certificate is only provided in cases where the goods listed have potential to change eligibility from shipment to shipment. Um, so for an example, something that is uh, you're using multiple sourcing for or has uh, changing lots. For a one-time shipment, you would limit that date range on the certificate and include the certificate with the commercial invoice to be used at time of entry. A blanket certificate, which is generally more common due to ease of management, covers the goods listed for an entire blanket year from January 1 to December 31st. There are some cases where a specified period of time not covering the full year would be acceptable. An example of when you might use this option would be if you have a plant closing on September 19th. You would provide NAFTA certificate from January 1st through to September 19th. Or also possible if you changed sourcing mid-year and the good has changed eligibility, you could issue a certificate from January 1st through to September 19th as eligible and provide a not eligible response from September 20th to the end of the year. Okay, field three is the producer field. This field lists the producer's company name, address, country, and tax ID number. 
If you are the producer and not the exporter, you would fill this field in with the required info and you can leave the exporter field blank. If you are the exporter and the producer, you can complete both the exporter and producer fields with your company name, address, country, and tax ID, or you can complete the full info in the exporter field and you can list the word same in the producer field. If you are the exporter and not the producer, you may list the producer's company information or if this is confidential, you can also list the statement available to customs upon request. Uh, this is generally the most common if you are the exporter and not the producer. Generally, um, what we see is available to customs upon request. Okay, field four is the importer field. Here you will fill in the importer's name, address, and tax ID number. This field can also be completed with the word various. Uh, if you provide this part to multiple companies or to multiple plants within the same company, various is the best way to fill that in. Um, most of our most of our compliance clients here at Buckland uh, require us to request various. Field five is description of goods. This is where you list the part number and the description of the goods you are certifying as originating or eligible for NAFTA. While description is the base requirement on a NAFTA certificate, it is important to also include part number along with the description. Part numbers are important for many reasons. Uh, one important reason is clarity. You may have multiple parts with the same basic description that vary in eligibility. Also, descriptions can vary from one software to the next, even internally within the same company, let alone across brokerage companies, maybe multiple, third-party compliance providers, freight forwarders, your customers, et cetera. Part numbers are important due to the way that the data is tracked from one software to the next. The only time that I would recommend leaving a part number off of an active certificate would be if the good doesn't have assigned part numbers. For instance, we often see this with raw materials such as rolled steel. Now that we have discussed the importance of using part number on an NAFTA document, I wanted to briefly discuss a little bit about the difference between using full part number and base part number something we have seen a lot of that can cause problems in a NAFTA verification from customs. A lot of times companies have parts that go through multiple revision levels over a period of time before a part is retired. And they use a suffix on the end of the part number to denote those revision levels, such as part 4932AB moving to part 4932AC. Same part, new revision. I highly encourage companies to use the full part number, including the suffix on their NAFTA certificate. Companies choosing to use base part number should be very diligent in their NAFTA determination process and be able to show that all revisions for the base part are eligible for NAFTA. Often revisions to part numbers 
um, are due to changes in sourcing, changes in materials. Um, these can result in a change in the NAFTA eligibility. You should not make the assumption that a new revision is still eligible for NAFTA just because the old one was. Okay, field six. Field six is for the uh, HS, or in the US, we always call it HTS, uh, the tariff classification number. The requirement for this field is the six-digit tariff code for the good listed. Each item listed should have at least a six-digit tariff, even if it is the same. I encourage only using six digits on your NAFTA certificate. Uh, you might ask why only six digits uh, instead of uh, putting 10, which is required on entry. The main reason I encourage uh, the use of six digits on a NAFTA is the commonality of discrepancy. Customs considers the tariff code that you use to be very important as it denotes the specific good that is crossing as well as the amount of duty to be paid. Also, in the current U.S. trade climate, with added scrutiny by customs, many companies are diligent in their internal classification determination or utilize experts through their third-party compliance providers. For this reason, many companies are completing HTS reviews for discrepancy. An HTS discrepancy means that when the HTS used at entry doesn't match the HTS on the NAFTA certificate or the HTS that your customer is using is not the same as what you put on your NAFTA certificate. This is less likely to happen when six digits are used as the first six are universal across US, Canada, and Mexico outside of a few rare cases. Discrepancies across countries are more likely to happen when you add the eight and 10 digit uh, to the code. Okay, on to field seven for preference criterion. This will be denoted by letters A through F. I'm sure many of you know that NAFTA determination is a complicated process. Once you've completed the qualification of your good and determined it to be eligible for NAFTA, the preference criterion are used on the certificate to designate how your good qualified. So let's take a moment to explore the NAFTA preference criterion before we move on to the rest of the certificate. Criterion A is for goods that are wholly obtained or produced entirely in the territory or one of one or more of the parties. Parties meaning NAFTA member countries, Canada, US, and Mexico. NAFTA determination is not a simple process, can be very complicated. That complex nature starts right off the bat with criteria A. At a glance, you may think that wholly obtained or produced entirely would mean that your good qualifies for NASA if all of the components going into it were purchased from Canada, US, or Mexico. This is not actually the case. When you dig down further, you find that the NASA definition of wholly obtained and produced entirely 
means that all materials used in the production of the good can be traced back to the earth in one of the three NAFTA countries. This means products covered under criteria A are such things like plants, animals, minerals, goods extracted from or made exclusively from those plants, animals, and minerals, goods extracted from the sea or seabed, from outer space, uh, waste or scrap from manufacturing. Um, and when I say waste or scrap, I mean when it is only fit for recovery of raw materials. Um, there is a full definition that can be found at uh, 19 CFR 10.530F. Moving on to criterion B. B states that each of the non-originating materials used in the production of the good undergoes an applicable change in tariff classification set out in Annex 401 as a result of production occurring entirely in the territory of one or more of the parties, or the good otherwise satisfies the applicable requirements of that annex where no change in tariff classification is required, and the good satisfies all other applicable requirements of this chapter. So I know that's kind of a mouthful, but simply put, the use of this criterion indicates that the NAFTA rule of origin for that good was met. This can include tariff shift, regional value content, or a combination of the two. Criterion B is the most commonly used criteria as a majority of manufacturing goods would use criteria B as long as they pass the NAFTA rule of origin. Criteria C, the good is produced entirely in the territory of one or more of the parties exclusively from originating material. This means that all materials used in the production of the good must originate in the NAFTA territory agreement. Criterion C is more common for manufactured goods with fewer components going into the whole. Each and every component used in the production of the good must be deemed originating, meaning you should be able to obtain a supporting NAFTA certificate from your suppliers for each of the components. An example would be a desk that is manufactured in Canada, where each of its components were also manufactured in Canada and have been determined to qualify for NAFTA by its own rule of origin. Criteria D. Criteria D is used when a good is produced in the NAFTA territory but contains one or more non-originating materials that are provided as parts under the HTS and do not undergo a tariff shift because the good was imported in an unassembled or disassembled form but was classified as assembled, provided that there is an RBC percentage match. So criteria D is not common and is often misused. An example of criteria D would be a bicycle that is shipped unassembled, but classified under the tariff for the assembled bicycle, but is also able to reach a 60% regional value content or RBC 
under the transaction value RBC method. So criterion E and F. Uh, criterion E applies to certain automatic data processing goods and their parts and are specifically listed by HTS code in Annex 308.1. This criteria is HTS specific and due to its limited scope is not commonly used. Criteria F applies to specific agricultural goods that are exported from the U.S. into Mexico. This provision was not negotiated trilaterally and is a separate agreement between the United States and Mexico. Okay, now that we have gone through the individual NAFTA preference criteria, let's return to our step-by-step uh, -step through the NAFTA certificate of origin. Field eight, the producer field. This option you have for producer, they're fairly simple. You have why or yes, if you, the company filling out the certificate, are the producer. If you are not the producer, you have the options of no three, no two, or no one. You must include one of these three options. A simple no is not going to be acceptable and would not pass audit. So let's talk a little bit about these three no's. Simply put, no three means that you are not the producer, but you have a NAFTA certificate from the producer to show as proof that the good is eligible. This is perfect. This is the strongest answer you can use. It means you've done your due diligence in verifying that the information you are putting on your document is accurate. Remember, this is a legal document and you are certifying that these parts are eligible for NAFTA. No two means that you are not the producer, but you have a written statement from the producer certifying that these goods are eligible for NAFTA. This is good too. This means that although you don't have a NAFTA, you do have something in writing from the producer to show eligibility. No one means that you are not the producer, but you have knowledge that the goods are eligible for NAFTA. Now this option does provide you with a higher level of risk. You are stating that you have personal knowledge that your producer's goods are eligible for NAFTA, but you do not have any documentation to show proof of this. There are some companies that use this option and do have valid reasons to back it up, but many companies will not use no one and will not accept no one from their suppliers. Uh, actually, currently, uh, all of Buckland's compliance clients um, refuse to accept no one on a supplier certificate. I highly encourage you to consider the risk this could open your company up to before you choose to use this option. No one is a red flag to customs um, that you have not done that due diligence. Uh, you don't want to encourage or give any reason for a NAFTA verification. If it turns out that your producer's goods were not actually eligible, 
you could end up paying back duties, potential fines, or if there's enough of a reason, you could end up under audit. So it's always best to just solicit that NAFTA certificate and have it on hand. Okay, field nine is net cost. This field is similar to preference criteria in that it provides information on how a good qualifies for NAFTA. It is indicating whether tariff shift or RVC, regional value content, was used to qualify the good. If you used RVC to qualify, you will put NC in this field. If you did not use RVC, you will use no in this field. Okay, field 10 is your country of origin. If your good is eligible for NAFTA, you should only have Canada, US, or Mexico listed here. In rare cases, you can also find JNT listed as country of origin. This stands for joint. Joint is not commonly used and is only allowable when exclusively exporting into Canada and has had joint production in Mexico and US. If you have included not eligible goods along with the eligible goods on your NAFTA certificate and denoted them as NE in the preference criterion column, you will also need to list the country of origin. This could still be Canada, US, or Mexico, but could also be any country outside of the NAFTA territory. Any country that you list for uh, any goods listed on your NAFTA certificate should be used, it should use the ISO country codes. Okay, field 11 is for actually all of the field 11. So you have 11A through 11G. This is, these are your signatory details. Here you list the signer's name, company, title, telephone, email, and the date signed. The NASA certificate is a legal document. The signer should be somebody who has the authority and knowledge to attest that the information listed is true and accurate. The person signing this document is taking responsibility and could be held liable for any false statements. They are agreeing to maintain documentation that is necessary to support the certificate and provide such upon request. When I say provide such upon request, I mean by customs. If customs request any documentation to support your qualification on the certificate, they will send a NAFTA verification. The signature date is an important aspect of the NAFTA document and something that can cause issues. The signature date should reflect the date the certificate was signed and should not be backdated. The signature date must be prior to the date of the preference claim. I will add, uh, it is also a red flag. Uh, I have seen this quite a few times. When the blanket year, um, say, is 2019, but the signature date is from 2017. That means somebody has copied the certificate and changed the blanket date. That's a red flag. Okay. So all of the fields in the NASA certificate 
now that we've gone through the form section by section and explored the preference criteria, we'll take a look at some of the common mistakes that can occur. So the Buckland Compliance Group completes full audits on all certificates that we solicit on behalf of our compliance clients. And we often run into some common errors and I just wanted to go over those with you. So um, leaving off the country or tax ID when filling in the exporter or producer field, this is something we often see and we will send it right back to the supplier for correction. Uh, using the wrong criteria, the preference criteria. This isn't something we can do a full audit on as we would not have visibility to the qualification process used by the supplier or the exporter unless we are doing their NAFTA qualification for them. But there are red flags such as, you know, if we're looking at something that's been uh, manufactured, say a compressor, being listed under, you know, criteria A, we do turn that around because it's, it's pretty obvious that it's something that was manufactured and not something that has come directly from the earth. Uh, another common error, listing a country of origin that is not within the NAFTA territory when you've listed the part as being eligible. A part cannot be eligible if it is not from one of the three countries within the NAFTA territory. So you would always expect to see um, Another common uh, issue that we run into is being fields blank. So if your part is eligible, all of those fields should be filled in. If your part is not eligible, then you know there will be a couple fields that you can leave blank. Um, you can leave producer, you can leave the net cost field blank, but you still need to fill in preference criteria and country of origin. Another common one we see is not, not signing the NAFTA. You have to have a signature. It cannot be a digital signature. Uh, that may change with USMCA, uh, but for NAFTA, you may not use a digital signature. Um, and then also putting the wrong signature date. So the signature date, again, I'll reiterate, is very important. The signature date um, needs to be prior to claim, which means you need to have solicited that NAFTA certificate and created it prior to NAFTA claim, prior to the entry. You don't want to backdate your signature. Um, and then I also wanted to give you a reminder uh, that you do have the option to use the same or provide to customs upon request in the particular field. That's field three up at the very top. Uh, and that you can also use various in place of the importer field, that's field four. The benefit to this is the need to create fewer certificates and providing easier tracking for your customer or broker.
Okay, so I think that's it on common mistakes. That's great. Thank you for that, Jody. Um, and I think uh, on behalf of both of us, I would encourage people, if you do have questions, uh, to please reach out to CSA group at buckland.com. You mentioned um, our compliance division can be of assistance with that. So I would encourage people, as I'm sure you would encourage them as well. That's the Beyond Borders podcast for today. Thank you so much for listening and thank you to Jody for the exploration of this interesting topic. If you're interested in checking out the slides from today's webinar, check out the learning section at buckland.com to access our webinars. I'll also post a link in the show notes. I hope you enjoyed listening to the podcast today. If you're looking for more resources related to international trade, check out buckland.com and click on the learning section across the top of the website. Here you'll find a range of resources, including learning guides, webinars, and podcasts. Our downloadable learning guides include ANCO terms charts, common trade terminology, how to avoid border delays, and many more. We also host live monthly webinars and we invite you to sign up online to secure your spot for an informative presentation followed by a live Q&A session. The best way to keep up to date on all of these resources is through our weekly newsletter. We send out a newsletter every Wednesday containing our latest information as well as a roundup of the tra latest trade news delivered right to your inbox. If you have any questions, please feel free to reach out to us through our website's contact us page, through Twitter where our handle is at Buckland Tweets, or on our LinkedIn company page, and now on Instagram at Buckland Insta. Thank you for listening to the Beyond Borders podcast and be sure to tune in again and subscribe for more great conversations about importing, exporting, and everything else in the world of logistics and international trade.